This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation. Welcome to the October-November Monthly Economic Outlook presented by the McNair Center for the Advancement of Free Enterprise and Entrepreneurship at Northwood University in partnership with Midland Community Television. I'm your host, Mackenzie Castle. Joining me today is our Senior Vice President, McNair Center Director, Dr. Timothy Nash. Dr. Nash? We have a special episode for you today. Uh, in lieu of presenting an Entrepreneur of the Month, we're going to expand a little bit on the Michigan Economic Competitiveness Study the McNair Center conducts for the Michigan Chamber Foundation. And we'll jump right in talking about the study. It landed in more than 250 outlets across the United States. Obviously, it's big news. What can you tell us about Michigan's competitiveness? Well, Mackenzie, the, the 2018 study is our seventh uh, annual study. And initially, when we introduced the study in 2012, Michigan was number 47 out of 50, so uh, the state had a lot of uh, things to render improved, and uh, we're very pleased to report that that longitudinal study, which traces data from 1998 to 2018, uh, Michigan's moved from 47 to 20th, and uh, we have made great progress because of things like tax cuts, regulatory reform, etc. But maybe even more impressive is with last year's study, we began tracking uh, the economy since 2011 so we could measure how well Governor Snyder uh, had done as governor, starting to be able to measure different governor's terms. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Michigan is ranked this year number eighth in the, number eight in the country in terms of economic competitiveness. You know, we've uh, we've been one of the top. Uh, we were number, for example, number five in the country in per capita GDP growth real per capita GDP growth from 2011 to 2017. Obviously, 2018 data isn't out yet. Uh, we, uh, we are ranked uh, the 11th most competitive corporate tax rate state, the 13th most competitive in terms of personal income, and recently uh, a major uh, uh, economics measurement that's produced uh, out of the state of Missouri ranks M Michigan the fourth most cost of friendly, or I'm sorry, cost of living friendly state in the country. So you know, a lot of really good things happening in Michigan. Wonderful. Now when you look at the Great Lakes Bay region, you look at the states around us, how is Michigan in this area? 
Uh, Michigan leads the Great Lakes uh, Bay region, or I'm not the Great Lakes Bay region, but the, the Great Lakes uh, region. And when you look at specifically at the Great Lakes Bay within the state of Michigan, uh, Midland uh, is, is really the shining star. Uh, Midland uh, has been one of the top performers in the country. And in terms of gross metropolitan areas uh, over the last um, you know, four or five years, Midland has been number two in the country in terms of per capita GDP growth. And that's, that's out of 383 uh, metropolitan areas, ranging from you know, Detroit and New York City and Chicago, mm -hmm. uh, two smaller uh, communities. And uh, uh, I can't remember which community it was, but it was a small, relatively small town in, uh, in Indiana that was number one. I think it was Goshen, Indiana was number one. And we were number two in terms of GDP growth over the last um, uh, six, seven years. So it's, it's impressive to see what's happening both to Michigan at the national and the regional level, but certainly a number of uh, areas uh, uh, like Michigan. Grand Rapids did extremely well in, in Michigan. Obviously, Midland was the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things here in Midland that contribute to that kind of growth? Well, clearly a, a lot of things have happened. Um, Dow Chemical uh, building its new world headquarters, mm -hmm. uh, the expansion at the, uh, at the Midland uh, Regional Health Center, Mid-Michigan Regional Health. Uh, they've done two or three major expansions. You know, our, you know, our own Northwood University has been a major player in, uh, in construction uh, phases, our new housing complex. Uh, our, uh, we're now starting, as you know, our second major housing mm -hmm. uh, complex addition. Uh, the DeVos Graduate School, the, uh, the renovation of the, uh, the old DeVos Graduate School until the into the Plaster Center. Our home, the McNair Center, is a 6,000 square foot brand new uh, addition to the building on campus. So those are the kinds of things that are helping to, to drive the, uh, the economy. And, and certainly the Dow-DuPont merger and the kinds of things that that promises mm -hmm. uh, for the economy. Those are all factors that have uh, been major players in the growth in Midland in the last five years or so. Great. That's always good news for us. We love to talk about Michigan's success. Uh, you've, maybe people saw your op-ed last week in the Detroit News talking about Snyder's, Governor Snyder's tenure and how successful it was. What are some of the things you're going to be keeping an eye on looking to a uh, new term with the new governor? Well, you know, certainly I think that, um, you know, we, we've been talking about, um, you know, and, and we in essence use the study as a scorecard. So <laughs> looking at scoring the uh, the um, the Whitmer administration, a lot of good things have happened under Governor Snyder. He hasn't been perfect, but I'd, I'd give him an eight or a nine out of a ten. Uh, he's he's he did a lot of very he had a lot of very difficult things to, to to tackle difficult things on his plate when he became governor. And as you think about where we are now, uh, he has um, reformed taxes. He has cut out or reformed over a thousand regulations that made it difficult for business to compete. Uh, he took Detroit through bankruptcy. Uh, that that was a very very difficult thing for anybody to do. And uh, you know Michigan has again been one of the shining stars as a re result of tax reform, regulatory reform, and in getting the burden under control for the city of Detroit, giving my hometown a chance to uh, mm -hmm. to rebound and and, and grow. So. When you're looking at measurements for the new governor, we need to make certain that we continue to grow. So the major indicator is going to be gross domestic product or gross state product growth. Mm -hmm. And as a result, 
what are we doing with taxes? What are we doing with regulations? What are we doing to keep the cost of living in Michigan very reasonable and have the economic growth uh, to create jobs? So those are, those are the key measures we'll look at. GDP growth, job creation, unemployment, uh, taxes, regulation. Fantastic. Well, we certainly look forward to an update on that. Let's and jump into the national outlook and okay. talk about how our economy did in October and early November. We obviously had an election that impacted some things. So how generally are we doing today? Well, you know, as, as we always uh, uh, look at things at the McNair Center, uh, we, we realize that the cornerstone of our great economy is the entrepreneur. And so when we look at, um, you know, we always argue that the, uh, the wellspring of human progress or the economic cycle of human progress starts with the entrepreneur. And as you see the slide that we've put up the last couple of shows, you know, we just want to remind the view viewers that um, it's the small business that creates most of the jobs in the United States. It's the entrepreneur. And, and if we think about here in Midland, it was over 100 years ago that this young entrepreneur named H.H. Dow was mm -hmm. starting a small business that today has become the, in many measurements, Dow DuPont is now the largest chemical company in the world, if not in other measurements, the second largest. And so you think about what those entrepreneurs, both Dow and DuPont, did with, you know, little uh, garage companies, if you will, that became major global companies. And, and in the end, we, we argue that you have to make certain that you're satisfying the customer. And so we have to have a marketplace that allows customers to be as well-served as possible by companies that are nimble, by companies that can reinvest, by companies that are allowed to keep and hold their profits. And so, uh, you know, that the, the, the slide that you see is just uh, something that, um, that we, we use on a regular basis in the economics area. And if you look at the, uh, the November uh, midterm elections, uh, number one, both sides are claiming victory. The Democrats are claiming victory because they were able to, um, you know, rather impressively, it wasn't a blue wave, but uh, they, they were able to uh, take the House. And the Republicans are bragging because the Republicans, especially as of uh, yesterday's uh, decisions in Florida, they're going to keep the Senate and, uh, you know, they're going to end up with 51 or 52 seats in the Senate. So they will hold the Senate majority. Um, and so you look at it and you say, what did this election tell us? Uh, uh, the election was the largest voter turnout by percentage in the United States, in, literally in modern history. In, in over 100 years, there's not been that percentage of voters turning out for an election. Uh, 116 million people voted. And just to give you a point of reference, there's less than 160 million people working in the United States today. So uh, a very high percentage of eligible voters, almost 50%, retirees, young people, just uh, maybe college age, they're voting for the first time. Uh, the thing that, that is important is you'd have to go back to 1914, where it was just over 50%, 50 50.4% uh, voted. And you know, that was a, a time in the United States when we were very ignorant, and back then women were not allowed to vote. So it, it's interesting that women were not allowed to vote, and women were major players in, in the election. Uh, uh, the, um, in, a, in a lot of case, cases, the uh, uh, Republicans did not hold 
metropolitan areas or even state governments because women that normally voted Republican historically did not vote, uh, and people call it the Trump effect. So it, it's interesting to see that um, when you're looking at the election, uh, there were signs and, and signals uh, to a number of individuals and a number of regions and certainly to both political parties that um, the youth voted heavily mm -hmm. in the Democratic direction. Mm -hmm. Women voted more heavily, not I wouldn't say in a landslide, but more heavily uh, for uh, Democrats that normally vote Republican. Men voted Republican and turned out in much higher numbers. And so the, the real concern that we have is not the gender bias or, or what gender, which gender did what, or what young and old did in terms of voting as much as what is the mentality of the voter today. Mm -hmm. In other words, as we look at the elections, uh, will we continue with regulatory reform? Will we continue with tax reform? And, and that's up for debate. That's, that's, right. a, that's in question today. And even if you look at um, what happened in California, and this is something that is not talked about a lot in the news, but Orange County, California, which was one of the Republican strongholds in Southern California, it was the home of Reaganomics. There were five members of the House of Representatives that were Republicans in the Orange County area. Two of them decided not to run for re-election, and three ran for re-election. The Republicans lost all five seats. And that should tell mm -hmm. you something, mm -hmm. because that is, is um, an issue that I don't think is male-female related, but I do think is economics related. And what's important to understand is the issue there is the tax cut because that tax cut actually increased taxes for Republicans in California because the tax cut, as much as we say tax cuts are good for the economy, if you're a Republican in New York making a lot of money, your taxes just went up. You're a Republican in New Jersey making a lot of money because of the, the uh, Trump tax cuts. Your tax rate, what you're paying in taxes just went up. Same thing in California. And so there were some really close elections that may have been tipped by the tax cut because people aren't voting necessarily what's best for the economy. Mm -hmm. They're voting their own pocket. And you see not just Republican women, but in some cases Republican men voting against the Republican candidate this time around in places like New Jersey, New York, California, because their taxes actually increased because they weren't able to write off, they're no longer able to write off the same amount of their state and local income taxes on their federal tax return. Interesting. Yeah, and so the, the, uh, the, the main message we think for the midterms is wait and see. Let's yeah. see where this this takes us. But that's mm -hmm. just uh, you know kind of a quick overview. Uh, as you look at the jobs uh, record, uh, the economy is doing very well as it relates to the jobs report. Uh, uh, in October, we created 250,000 new jobs. Uh, that was almost 50,000 more than uh, most economists were expecting. Uh, the leading job creator was healthcare, 
Manufacturing was strong at 32,000. Mm -hmm. uh, construction was strong at 30,000. And, and construction at 30,000 in October is, is a, it bodes well for the kind of activities that are, that are happening. We're, we're building a, a lot of structures that will begin the expansion in October and November, which is which is somewhat of an oddity, oddity in uh, in the in the certainly the north uh, in the northeast with with the winter uh, as part of it. Um, unemployment remained at three point seven percent. If you measure October twenty seventeen versus October twenty eighteen, it's down 04 percent. Uh, it literally is the uh, the lowest unemployment rate this country has experienced in nearly 50 years. So the economy in that regard is doing extremely well. And wages, the, the wage rate from October of uh, 2018, tracing back to October of 2017, you know, we're literally seeing uh, the best single year of wage growth since mm -hmm. 2009. So, you know, these are, these are strong factors the, for the economy to look at. Uh, as, as we think about um, gross domestic product, uh, we, we certainly have a, um, a strong economy. Mm -hmm. You would have to go back to uh, President Clinton to see the kinds of numbers that we're, we're experiencing right now. And if you look here at the slide, uh, you know, GDP growth is, is averaging uh, well over uh, 3% uh, for the last year. And um, we could finish the actual calendar year at above 3%, which would be the first time we've done that uh, uh, since the, uh, the Bush-Clinton era. And it obviously happened a lot more under President Clinton than it did under uh, President Bush. Uh, President Obama never, never had a year where the average was above 3%. And as we've reported before, President Obama's eight years in office averaged roughly 2% GDP growth. So GDP growth is strong, and uh, we think it will continue to be strong. There's a bit of a concern that uh, the prediction by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, which we mm -hmm. use as one of our key prognostication tools, is that um, the uh, fourth quarter will be down a little bit, down to 2.8% uh, GDP growth. Now, there's something kind of special about third quarter GDP. Uh, can be an indicator for the future. What, looking at these numbers, are you thinking about uh, going into the fourth quarter and the first quarter of next year? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was, uh, I was watching um, Arthur Laffer, who was the famous uh, economist who, who uh, authored the, the Laffer Curve. And, uh, you know, maybe one of the shows will, maybe next show will we'll show the Laffer Curve. It's a very famous uh, uh, tax theory that goes back to before the birth of Christ. Uh, where some of the Phoenicians were working on uh, tax policy and you know, how much they should tax individuals. But the, the Laffer Curve says there's an optimal tax rate. And if you tax above the tax rate, then uh, you are going to um, force people out of business and you'll have less tax revenue. And if you tax below the optimal tax rate, you're just letting people keep money that, that um, the government could have. Mm -hmm. they, they won't stop working and they won't work more at a lower tax rate. So Laffer used to argue that a net tax rate of about 15% was optimal. 
just recently, he was very laudatory of the, uh, the president's tax cuts. And his argument is that um, it takes a while for these tax cuts to uh, take effect. And I hope he's right. Uh, I, I see a slowing down. We haven't done our final forecast yet for 2018, but I see the economy slowing down a bit in 2019. He was just on uh, a couple of news shows in the last week saying he sees the tax cuts taking a year to actually kick in mm -hmm. and the tax returns to be made to people uh, in 20 April and beyond or really the beginning of 2019. And uh, bottom line is he sees the economy growing at as strong a pace, if not stronger, in 2019. Uh -huh. So you like you know with the economists you get uh, if you have two economists you get at least three opinions but um, I think 2019 will be a good year whether it whether Nash is right or Laffer is right I think GDP is going to be somewhere between two and a half and three percent on average it would be my prediction right now for 2019 mm -hmm. so still a very good year by historic standards mm -hmm. good and 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 then if you look at uh, McKinsey the Economy, one of the key indicators that we look at on a regular basis is business confidence. And business confidence uh, is uh, extremely high relative to, to the economy and, and where it's been in the last decade. Uh, we're really looking at um, uh, among the best consumer confidence levels since the year 2000. And if you look at the, um, uh, the consumer confidence index you can say well we're, we're at a level that's almost as high as the last high which was uh, at, at just over 142 in uh, in September of 2000 but the thing that's promising and maybe validates what uh, Dr. Laffer was talking about is there's the expectations index that's the forward-thinking uh, index for the consumer confidence index that the conference board produces and the expectations index shows that the economy is looking strong it looks out at about three to four months so they're they're arguing that uh, into early 2019 the economy looks strong it doesn't say that it's not going to be strong beyond that but that that expectations index is is a positive uh, uh, indicator that uh, things are good and they and they look like they should be getting better uh, our you know, the major index that we look at in terms of confidence is the uh, is the small business uh, confidence index, or what's oftentimes referred to as the small business optimism on, uh, index, produced by the uh, uh, the, the uh, National Independent Business uh, or Federation of Businesses. We are looking at historic levels. We're we're right now at uh, 107. Point Four. If you look at the data on this chart, um, it hit an all-time record high in August of 108.8. If you look at um, the data here, you can see that for the year we've hovered between uh, 107, 106.9, and you know one, almost 109. But what uh, is important is consider that. We averaged 94 for the year 2014. Uh, if you look at the year 2015, we averaged just uh, under 98. And if you look at 2016, we averaged just uh, uh, under 94. So confidence by small business has rocketed up uh, during the Trump administration. 
small business people are willing to take greater risks because of the tax cuts, because of the regulatory cuts, and quite frankly, they have more confidence in this president as it relates to the economy. In fact, just the other day, uh, President Trump hit an all-time record of 53% confidence by the American people, according to a poll by Reuters, uh, as it relates to managing the, uh, the U.S. economy. So uh, there, there's a lot of uh, good things happening in that regard. We have concerns. Uh, clearly, one of the, the major concerns that, that I have right now in the economy is the stock market. Last year, the stock market was up almost 24.5% for all of 2017. It closed the year with an all-time record high, nine months gain to gain to gain. So we had nine months back-to-back -back gains in 2017. And the stock market closed the year at 24,719. This year, at one point, it was up 8% over that figure. Um, it's unfortunate, but we cannot uh, look at the stock market right now with any optimism, in my opinion. The stock market is barely up 1%. We've had a rather large retrenchment in the last month or so, and the, uh, uh, the stock market could be signaling this slowdown that, that I believe uh, we, we could very well face in 2019. I don't see a recession, at least as of yet in 2019, but the stock market uh, is having a hard time breaking out of its, its current uh, uh, position of difficulty. And again, right now for the, uh, uh, the year to date, it's only up 0.8%. Uh, so we, we have some concerns about the stock market. And, and I think the, the things that are triggering our concern about the economy is you know, first and foremost the national debt. Our national debt is now closing in on $22 trillion. $21.77 trillion is the, uh, the total U.S. national debt. Our debt per citizen, per man, woman, and child is, uh, is just over $66,000 for the year. Our debt per taxpayer, which is probably the most important measure because these are the people that, at least in theory, have a job and could pay off mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, uh, the national debt. That's almost $178,500. So $178,377. If we divide it, we told all taxpayers, here's your share of the national debt. That's an awful lot of money uh, per taxpayer. And for a household of four, you know, the average home in the United States has mom, dad, and two kids. You know, there it'd be over $264,000 per household. So our national debt needs to get under control. And I've, I've said this for a long time. I don't believe that we have a tax-slash-revenue problem as much as I believe we have a, a government spending problem. And we're running these deficits right now, and we are looking at increasing government spending if, if the uh, Democrats in the House get one of their campaign promises, which would be health care for everyone. You know, the real question is where will that come from with all of our existing government programs? In a turbulent world, do we cut national defense, uh, our roads, 
across the United States are in need of repair. Mm -hmm. Certainly it's one of the challenges that the new governor will have in Michigan. So, you know, when you're looking at problems, where do we cut when it comes to our national debt? And then the, the solution oftentimes is, well, we need to raise taxes. I think as you, as you look at things, you raise taxes, you're going to slow the economy. You're not going to grow the economy. It, it, it doesn't work raising taxes and growing the economy, especially when tax rates are where they are at today. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to return, in my opinion, to the days when we're looking at our tax rate on corporations being higher than that of China's. Mm -hmm. being high, It's still higher than Russia's. We still have a tax rate that is higher than a number of our key competitors on business. Taxes got better on business in, in President Trump's last tax cut. I don't think we want to return to higher taxes. So the national debt remains a, a, a major concern for us. As you look at um, the whole aspect of what's happening in the economy as it relates to the prime interest rate. Now, the prime interest rate is the rate you charge your best corporate customers. And so when you're looking at a business, the interest cost is key. And by the way, it's not just key for business, but if you went back, and we're not going to, to the, the previous slide and looked at the national debt, you know, our interest rate on the national debt, the average interest rate is, has been roughly 2%. That's going up. And as, as interest rates go up, the government borrows from the same capital markets that we borrow from. And interest on the national debt is going to be going up substantially if interest rates continue to grow. And the, you know, the, it, it wasn't even a top 30 mm -hmm. item on the U.S. national debt. I'm sorry, on the U.S. national budget, meaning interest on the national debt. It's in the top five today. And interest on the national debt becomes a problem. But if you look at the U.S. prime rate, which is the rate you charge your best corporate customers, you know, the, the um, prime rate has increased uh, rather dramatically just this year. It's gone from 4.5% to 5.25% uh, in less than a year. And um, there are a lot of people that think it could be at 5%, uh, I'm sorry, 55 to 6% within the next year. That means higher cost of doing business. That means lower profits. The more you pay in interest, the less you can do to grow your business, the less you can do to employ more people. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, higher interest rates mean good things for savings accounts, uh, for bonds. But in business, this is, a, this is gonna be a challenge. And as you see, we're still well below the, the historic yearly average of just about six and six and a half percent. But um, higher interest rates aren't always a good thing uh, as it relates to businesses that are trying to become established and or to grow. Uh, if you see though, we're uh, way, way off um, our all time record high for the prime rate which was uh, December of 1980, in which um, you know the prime rate, the rate you charge your best corporate customers to borrow money, was 21.5%. And I remember small businesses, my father-in-law included, who had a pharmacy in Western New York, he was paying two points above prime to borrow money, which, which was one of the reasons why the economy had such a terrible 
uh, time at the uh, end of the uh, Carter administration in, in uh, 1980. So as you, as you think about the economy, our, our big concerns are the national debt and what we're going to do with it, and, and certainly interest rates. And then as you, um, you look to the future, the economy is, is very strong. And there's no reason why the American dream cannot continue. Uh, I think the, the economy is in a position to move forward in a very successful way if we decide to, A, tackle the national debt and do it via spending reductions and economic growth rather than tax increases. I also believe that the, the new programs, uh, we need to come up with market solutions to expand health care. We should do everything we can to expand health care to the greatest amount of the population possible. How we do it is going to be the great uh, decision. Mm -hmm. I think that young people today are very concerned about what's happening. I remember when, when I voted for Ronald Reagan, college campuses across the country voted for Reagan. And now you look at it in the, in the 2016 elections, the number one vote getter for college and university students in the primary was Bernie Sanders. If you look at the number of individuals that have been elected to this Congress that are avowed socialists, mm -hmm. it's a concern. So in, in essence, will we be a meritocracy that believes in the old adage that the cream will rise to the top, that in a free and competitive economy, the American dream can be achieved, that you will be better off than your parents are, were. Do we believe in that? Can it still exist? I, I really think that that's the underlying debate that's taking place in this country. Can we continue to have a free and competitive e economy that literally is the envy of the world, or are we going to go more toward a European socialist model, which I believe will make us much less competitive and uh, make the second half of the 21st century clearly the century of places like China and India mm -hmm. rather than the United States. So that, that, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're concerned with uh, this month's uh, monthly economic outlook. That makes sense. Those are big concerns. We. Uh, Happy to bring to you today Economics in Action, the October-November edition of our monthly economic outlook, and a little bit on our Michigan Chamber study. You can learn more, see the study, read the executive summary or the full study at mcnair.northwood.edu. If you have any questions or want to give us any feedback on the show, mcnair at northwood.edu is our email address. We welcome those comments. We uh, coming at you from Northwood University, where the American dream is live, alive and well. And we will see you next month. Thank you.
This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV.